0: Well, I've got, us just about time to go. We're going to be in Ruth tonight. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Ruth 3, 7 to 18. And I think I'm going to read the text tonight, and then we'll pray and study it. Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich." Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true I am a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does "'not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you "'as the Lord lives, lie down until morning.' "'So she lay at his feet until morning "'and rose before one could recognize another. "'And he said, let it not be known "'that the woman came to the threshing floor. "'Again he said, give me the cloak that is on you "'and hold it.' "'So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley "'and laid it on her. "'Then she went into the city.' When she came to her mother-in-law she said how did it go my daughter and she told her all that the man had done for her she said these 6 measures of barley he gave to me for he said do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed then she said wait my daughter until you know how the matter turns out for the man will not rest until he has settled it today let's pray father thank you for these scriptures and we realize that all scriptures important all scriptures inspired all scriptures profitable We pray that this would prove to be true tonight with this passage we analyze. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. As we mentioned last time, if we are going to experience the ultimate blessings of God, there are going to be times when we have to make a move and take some risks. We must be willing to step out by faith and go where God is moving, and we must see what his will actually is. Getting the ultimate blessings of God is a risk. It's a carefully calculated risk. It's a cost-counting risk, as you'll see, but it's a risk. That risk may be in the business world. You have to take a business risk. It can be in the financial world. It may be a surgery risk. It could be an occupation risk. It could be a relationship risk. It could be an ecclesiastical risk. It was a risk to really step out and build this new sanctuary. It was a risk. We had to line up things, and we had to think through things and pray about things, but it was a risk. And to move from one place to another where the word of God is carefully taught to get out of your comfort zone, that's a risk. Now Ruth had gone out to get some food. She scored big. You'll remember when she got home to Naomi, Naomi wanted to know where in the world did you get all this stuff? She came back with about six gallons of barley and she came back with her leftover lunch and she was shocked that she had scored that much stuff and she learned where she had been working in Boaz Field. So she came up with a plan we saw last time. Her plan was to see whether or not God would work and give Ruth a great life. That was Naomi's goal, to give Ruth a great life. It's a carefully calculated plan, and as you'll see, it's a plan that is consistent with principles in the Word of God. That's important to realize, we'll point it out as we go through it tonight. Now, Naomi did not want Ruth to have to stay in her home for the rest of her life. She wanted her to have a better life, and she came up with a plan. She knew that Boaz was a godly man. She knew Boaz was a kind man. She knew he was a gracious man. He was a generous man. And she also knew something about a Leverate marriage. She did not know if this was going to actually work because Ruth is not an Israeli. Ruth is a Moabite woman. And her previous marriage to her dead husband was not technically one that fell into the category of a brother-in-law having to marry her to carry on the family name. In fact, She isn't even certain Boaz has any responsibility to marry her at all. But she had a plan. She knew the potential could be there if this were handled right. And so she came up with quite an incredible plan. She wanted Ruth to take a bath, put on good clothes, put on some perfume, go out to the field where Boaz was working and where he was harvesting that grain and corn. And she was to watch and wait until he went to sleep. Then what she told her to do is you sneak into camp and lie down at his feet to keep warm, cover yourself up with the bottom of his or blanket, believing that God would turn Boaz's mind the way he wanted it to go so he would make a right decision. So you recall when we left off last time in verse 6 of chapter 3, Ruth agreed to do it. And as we mentioned last time, this is a big risk. She's taking at night. She has to go out at night. That's risky for a single girl. It was risky for a Moabite girl. I mean, it's true that Boaz had told his own people, you don't touch this girl, but all the other people in the area certainly did not get that information from Boaz, and she was at risk to walk out in the night like that. And she had to find Boaz and then watch and wait to see where he would fall asleep, then sneak into camp where the other people are located, and she had to curl up under a blanket at his feet and hope that he wakes up and will be favorable to all of this. I mean, that is a risk, a big risk. And she would have never done that for some strange man. But Boaz was a very close relative, and she obviously felt safe in being with him. In fact, Boaz has an impeccable testimony. As you'll see tonight, he's a true man of God. What you're going to see about Boaz is this guy is a guy who's very serious about God, very serious about his word. Now, there are 10 historical observations that we want to make about the narrative as it develops tonight. And the first one is, Boaz had eaten and had drunk and his heart was merry, so he went and laid down at the end of a heap grain went to sleep. That's what we read in verse 7. I want to again remind us of this fact. Boaz is not a guy interested in chasing younger women. He has way too much class for that. He's a man of integrity. In fact, he is not responsible for any of this. He's not the guy that's making this happen. It's the ladies who've come up with this plan. Boaz is going to be shocked at what happens here. And I think that's so important, ladies and gentlemen, because older men are to be men of integrity. And Boaz is a man of integrity. Older men are to think biblically. And as you'll see tonight, Boaz thinks biblically. There's nothing funny, cute, or God-honoring about an older man out chasing younger women. That's not what Boaz is doing here at all. He doesn't even know anything about this plan when this thing goes down. Now, it had been a hard day of work for Boaz. He ate a meal, drank some wine, and he was calmed down, he was tired. The text says in verse 7, his heart was merry. It indicates he was very content and satisfied with work. And as he had a a couple of glasses of wine, I'm sure that increased his sense of joy. He's not in some drunken stupor. The language does not describe him being in a drunken stupor, but he was feeling good. The fact of the matter is, I know there are some religious rigid legalists who would look at this and think it's ugly. They would rather go to bed with ulcers. Well, Boaz wasn't that kind of guy. I mean, Boaz was the kind of guy, he had a good day's work, he's happy with the work, he's happy with the fact that God had blessed them, he's in a good mood because of all the blessings of God, and as Mr. Hubbard said in his commentary, he's savoring the quiet euphoria of the good life. Now, typically, the good grain was piled up so that it could be hauled away, and usually, When you piled it up, you piled it up on the threshing floor because it was clean, and you would actually toss stuff up in the cool breezes of the night, which separated the chaff from the kernel or the corn, and the stalks would fall or blow off to one side, and where those stalks would fall and where the chaff would fall, it kind of made a soft, cushiony area. And I'm sure that that's what Boaz decided. You know what? It's getting late at night here, so here's this nice cushy area that is right next to where we're harvesting this grain here. And so he decided that he was going to just lie down there by where the grain was heaped up. And he lied down and he fell into a deep sleep. Which brings us to the second observation. Ruth secretly came and uncovered his feet and laid down. We read in verse 7 and. She came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Ruth was standing somewhere in the shadows watching all of this, which is what Naomi had told her to do. you remember Naomi said, don't let anybody see you. I mean, you just go out there in the night and stay at a distance and see where Boaz goes to sleep, then uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. And so she waits till everybody's sleeping. I don't know how long she waits. The text doesn't say. We don't know how much time elapsed, but she decided apparently everybody was sound asleep, so she secretly, as it were, sneaked into camp. She uncovered his feet. She lay down at his feet. Now, for her, this is a big risk. First of all, she's assuming that no one's going to see her, and there must have been some other people around who would have also been sleeping. And secondly, she has no idea how Boaz is even going to respond to this plan once he finds out about this plan. So it's a big risk for her, but she's following the directions of Naomi. And she also is trusting in the sovereignty of God. So after watching from a distance, she sneaked in and laid down at his feet. This is a major leap of faith on her part. As we've said there are times if we are to experience God's ultimate blessings, we must take risks, and Ruth is taking a risk here, but it's not a crazy risk. There are people who do crazy things, saying they're stepping out by faith and doing it. You don't want to do that. In fact, I want to make five risk points that we need to consider about this episode. First of all, the risk that Ruth is taking here is based on the counsel of someone who does know some things about God and his word. That's important. In other words, Ruth doesn't just get up one day and has this feeling that this is what I ought to do. So she's not just governing herself by her feelings or win. This wasn't even Ruth's idea. So it was based on the counsel of somebody that did know something about God and his word. And it's obvious this kinsman redeemer thing, Naomi did know something about. She's counting on this for a successful conclusion to this story. If it's God's will, someone else is going to have a sense about it. You know, even when it comes to biblical prophecy, we learn no prophecy of scriptures of private interpretation, which simply means you can't take one verse and build some crazy theology out of it. I mean, if it's prophetically sound and true, there will be other passages of scripture that will coordinate the thought that this is prophetically true. And so you'll have a whole group of prophetic passages that will teach the same thesis or same theme. And the same is true when it comes to stepping out by faith and doing something for God. I mean, Ruth is not a lone ranger here. I mean, she has somebody that knows something about the word of God is giving her counsel to do this. Secondly, it's consistent with the word of God in the sense that a kinsman redeemer option is a biblical possibility. What that tells us is Naomi and Ruth did know something about the biblical truth of God's word. Let me say this another way. God's will will never be contrary to his word. So if somebody's going to take a risk and step out by faith, his will is never going to be contrary to his word. So you need to take in consideration all the things that we know from the word of God before you step out by faith and do it. Thirdly, it's not an act that's beyond the realm of what's reasonable and responsible. This is not some goofy leap of faith. I mean, this is a thought-through plan. I mean, this is not somebody just going off half cocked, as it were, and dreaming up something and saying, I guess I'll step out by faith and try this. That's not it at all. This is a highly calculated plan. Fourthly, it's based on faith. that does depend on God to show what his will is. They didn't know what God's will is. They said, we'll determine what God's will. He'll show us what God's will is. This is a faith move that no one knows how it actually is going to end with the exception of the Lord. And finally, If it is not God's will, nothing major is lost here. Ruth still leaves with her integrity, and Ruth still has her job. So this is not some grandstand play. I think quiet investigation is a key to determining God's will. Now that brings us to the third observation. Boaz is startled in the middle of the night. We read in verse 8, It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Some time passes between verse 7 and verse 8. We don't know how much time from the time she snuck in there and laid down and the time that verse 8 occurs. But sometime in the middle of the night, Boaz woke up, and the text says he was startled. Now, the Hebrew word for startled has to do with shaking. And we know he's not shaking out of fear. He's not afraid here. I suspect, and most commentators suspect, that he probably was chilled He actually got cold and got one of those chill shakes that you can get when you get cold because there's a draft there by his feet. I mean, I think that's probably what's happening here. He probably wakes up and he's chilled and he's shaking a little bit, and he's going to try to bend over and get the covers back on his feet due to the chill. When you're in mountain country at night, that air cools down. You know, when we lived in Idaho, very few homes had air conditioning. He wouldn't even live without air conditioning here. But out there, when we were a mile high in the city, which about it was in Pocatello, it'd get real hot during the day, but at night it'd cool. down. you open your windows and it'd get as cool as the coldest air conditioner that you could have blowing. And I'm sure that he's in that mountain air. And now you're in the middle of the night and things have really cooled off. Those temperatures have dropped. And he probably shook because he was chilled. So he bent forward to pull up his covers or fix his feet or robe, and he finds somebody lying at his feet. She's not lying by his side, but down at his feet. Now, Boaz is not an older guy who's looking for any relationship with a younger woman. In fact, he's not expecting a woman to show up here at all. He's not expecting some woman to show up here and lie down at his feet like he was some lust-crazed old geezer. That's not what he's doing here at all. He was shocked by this. Frankly, when he woke up, he was just really dumbfounded. And here was a faithful, and I'm going to point this out as we go through this. Here is a faithful, classy man of God. A faithful, classy man of God who has integrity. And he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he finds a girl lying at his feet, covered up with part of his blanket. Which brings us to the fourth fact, Boaz asked the woman to identify herself. He says there in verse 9, he said, who are you? The pronoun you, this doesn't show up in English, does in Hebrew, is feminine. Which would tell us he recognized it's a woman lying at his feet. That much we do know. But he has no idea who the woman is. He doesn't yell for help. He just calmly says, who are you? He has no idea who's lying at his feet, so he asked her to identify himself. And I want you to notice, too, He'll call Ruth often in this chapter, my daughter. He doesn't identify her as my daughter because he doesn't know who it is. If he would have known it was Ruth, he would have said, well, what are you doing? You're my daughter. But he doesn't. He says, well, who in the world are you? Which brings us to the fifth response. Ruth identifies herself as being Boaz's maid and close relative. She says in verse 9, I'm Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid for you are a close relative. Ruth responds four ways. First of all, she responds by giving her name, I'm Ruth, and she doesn't identify herself as the Moabitess, and I don't think that's a coincidence. She doesn't say, I'm Ruth the Moabite, she just says, I'm Ruth, because she considers herself now to be, by what she's going to say, in somewhat of a family status that is not an alien status that would make her marriageable here. I mean, that's what's going on in her mind, I'm Ruth. I'm leaving out the fact I'm a Moabitess here. Secondly, she identifies herself by rank. I'm your maid. I'm your maid. The Septuagint uses the word doulas, servant. The Hebrew uses the word here, handmaid, amah, and not maid servant, shifakah. The reason why I think that that's important is because she's basically saying, I'm a handmaid, I'm not a slave. I'm not here looking for slave relationship, but I'm your handmaid. But then thirdly, she says, I'd like you to marry me. And I'll show you how she asked the question. She says, so spread your covering over your maid for you're a close relative. There are two things that that means. Spread your cover over your maid for you are close relatives. First of all, it's a way that somebody can say, you know, I feel safe at your feet. I feel protected at your feet. I feel secure at your feet. I feel safe being here. You're my closest relative, so I feel safe here with you. But the other thing it means is literally, would you consider marrying me and enter into a covenant relationship with me through marriage? And that's how Boaz is going to interpret this. Now, I want you to go over to Ezekiel 16 for a moment, because here you get to see this same imagery. In Ezekiel chapter 16, this same imagery is used in God's relationship with Israel in Jerusalem, in having a covenant marriage with Israel in Jerusalem. It's the very same imagery that's being used here in the book of Ruth. You'll notice in Ezekiel chapter 16, and I want to draw your attention to verse 8, then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered Your nakedness I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. So God basically uses this spreading your wings or covering over the maid as entering into a covenant relationship of marriage. And that basically is what she's asking Boaz to do. Would you consider marriage? She's going way off script here as far as I'm concerned. Because Naomi said, you go there and when he wakes up, and find you at his feet, he'll tell you what to do. Well, Ruth takes the bull by the horns, so to speak, metaphorically, and she basically says, Now, would you consider spreading your covering over me? Would you consider marrying me? Because the fourth way she identifies Boaz, you're the close relative. That's the fourth way she identifies. You're our closest relative. You're our Goel. You're our Redeemer. You're our kinsman Redeemer. You're in the family, and you're the one that's in the family who can redeem us. And the thing that Ruth assumes here is she assumes that it's his kind of responsibility to do it, to marry her. She's thinking, you know, this is our closest relative, and being the closest relative, or our goel in Hebrew, you can redeem, you can reclaim, you can remarry, you can revindicate. Now, here's where this thing gets interesting as if this part of the story isn't interesting. The truth is, nowhere does the Bible say that the kinsman redeemer or the goel has a responsibility to marry or remarry anyone. In fact, this case doesn't even match the legal mandates that Deuteronomy law required. According to Deuteronomy 25, if a Jewish woman lost her husband, she didn't have a child... The brother of the husband was to marry her and carry on the name in the nation of Israel. So the assignment of marriage is not specifically given to the closest relative or Goel, but to a brother. The brother of a wife whose husband died, who didn't have a child, that was his responsibility to do that. We saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 25. So this is somewhat of a stretch to assume that Boaz should marry her because he's the closest relative. Ruth is not even a Jewish woman. Ruth is a Moabite woman. And Boaz is not the brother of McClone, who had been her husband. So this really is a remarkable request. I mean, here's Boaz, sound asleep at night. He wakes up because he's chilled. He reaches down near his feet or bends down toward his feet, finds a girl, a young girl lying there. And then this girl asks him, would you marry me? Which brings us to the sixth observation. Boaz responds to Ruth in verses 10 to 13. Ruth, I mean, she has put it all in the line here. No question about that. And she must have wondered what in the world is Boaz going to do? What's he going to say? She asked this Redeemer to unite with her in marriage. And may I say before we go on, when you ask Jesus Christ to unite with you and save you, you'll never regret that. Just as Ruth is never going to regret this request. You'll never regret that. Asking the Lord Jesus Christ to take over your life and shelter you and bless you. There are five responses that Boaz has to Ruth, and you get to see the kind of man he is. First of all, may you be blessed of the Lord. He says that in verse 10. May you be blessed of the Lord. May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. Now, the thing that I want you to see is immediately, in this context, boaz brings god into this do you see that immediately when he discovers what's going on here he brings god into this this is not some sleazy one-night fling or stand you're talking about a man of integrity here who wants the lord in this and this must have been a relief to ruth boaz is not cursing her he's asking god to bless her furthermore he identifies her as my daughter He acknowledges, yes, you are in the family. That's what I consider you to be. Even though you are Moabite, I consider you to be in our family. And so he does again elevate her to family status. The second response is, you've shown great kindness. You've shown great kindness. Verse 10 says of the text, you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, Boaz is thinking about this. This woman is under no legal mandate to marry anybody connected to McClone, who was Ruth's previous husband. She could have gone after. He lists people there. She could have gone after any young man she wanted. She had freedom to choose. She could have gone after any young man she wanted, not a guy like me who's older. She could have gone after any young man. She could have gone after, if she just loved a guy, he could have been poor or rich. It wouldn't have mattered. She could have gone after everyone. But he said, man, have you shown kindness here in wanting to carry on this right family go-el thing with me? It blew him away. Now, the word kindness refers to mercy and grace, and Ruth had not only demonstrated kindness to Naomi by leaving her own family in Moab to move here and care for her, but now she's taken this thing to another level by wanting to have Boaz in her life. She'd not gone after anybody else she could have gone after being in this culture, and she chose him. It's obvious that Boaz considered it to be something that was pure grace. I mean, he said, man, this tops what you did with your mother-in-law. I mean, my goodness, you left your own homeland, you came here following her to be here, and now you've topped that by wanting me to marry. You know, there's an interesting principle to glean from this. You can chase after all kinds of religious stuff you want to chase after if you want. You can chase after any religion, you can chase after any denomination, you can chase after any doctrinal system. But I'll tell you this, you'll never regret going after the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll never regret going after an understanding of the Word of God. That's what you see in this heart of Ruth. She's not interested in the other stuff. She's interested in that. Which brings us to his third response. Don't be afraid. I'll do whatever you ask. He says in verse 11 there, "'Now, my daughter, do not fear. I'll do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence.'" He could have said, get away from me, you, as one commentator said, you Moabite trash. What are you doing here? He could have said that he didn't. Boaz again says, my daughter, and his response is interesting. You may recall Naomi said, Boaz is going to tell you what to do. You go out there, you lie at his feet. When he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. Well, Boaz is saying, I'll do what you've told me, what you've asked me to do. She must have been scared. She had no idea how Boaz is going to take any of this. I mean, Boaz says, all people know you're a woman of integrity. I know that. Everybody knows that. You're a woman that is an excellent woman. You have an impeccable track record. There's nothing sleazy here about you. There's nothing immodest here about you. I understand that. He understands Ruth is a virtuous woman. He said, everybody can testify of this. So what Boaz is basically saying here is, I know there's nothing unworthy here in your proposal. You came to Bethlehem a few weeks ago, you were basically a nobody. And you came here to Bethlehem a few weeks ago, and you had nothing. Now, you're asking one of the most successful men in the area to marry you, and he is elevating you and saying, I'll do for you whatever you ask. And isn't that what Jesus Christ does for us when we come to him? He takes us as nothings, and he takes us from our lowest positions our most depraved sins and lifts us up and elevates us to the highest level. That's what he does. The fourth response is, I am your close relative, but there's a relative closer than me. Now, this just tells you volumes about Boaz. Verse 12 says, now it's true, I'm a close relative, however, there's a relative closer than I. I mean, I'm sure when Ruth heard those words, it must have disturbed her. Boaz says, look, I have to be honest here because I have integrity. And that's what you see here. This guy's got integrity. He said, I am a close relative, but I'm second in command of being a close relative. There's actually one who's closer to you than me. Now, the interesting thing of it is Naomi must have known that. Ruth wouldn't have known it. She'd have had no idea. But Naomi must have known it. But Naomi believed that she should go and talk with Boaz, which is why she came up with his plan. Which brings us to the fifth response, stay here tonight, and if the closest relative redeems you, let him, but if he doesn't redeem you, I will. That's what he says in verse 13, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you, but if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. There is, and I believe that you see here the integrity again of Boaz. Boaz says, you know, in my mind, there's a legal, legitimate, biblical application. There's a legal, legitimate, biblical hierarchy that we have to follow if we're going to follow the Word of God. You can't just go out and make up stuff that you want to have happen. You must follow the Word of God. Boaz is a man of biblical integrity, he knew about this redemption possibility. Obviously, he was a student of the Scriptures. He knew about kinsman-redeemer stuff. And he knew that before he could even consider something like that, the closest relative, as it were, would have first option in this and first responsibility in this. And he was not going to bypass that. I mean, he could have said, well, hey, look at what God's brought me lying here at my feet, and I'll just go over this and not follow through. He said, no, that's not the way it works. He said, I am not your closest relative And so, if the closest relative will redeem you, then let him redeem you. If he doesn't redeem you, then I will. Now, this redemption does not appear to have anything at all to do with producing children through the line of McClone, who was Ruth's previous husband. And yet, it's interesting that the last word of the book is here's David's lineage, which is what this book is all about. Here's David's lineage. I find that fascinating because this issue here initially in this marriage is security for Ruth. That's what this was all about. Naomi said, you know, we need to find you a secure life. You're a young lady and you need to have security. And if Boaz would follow God's word, he ultimately would be led to the will of God in this. And I want you to notice what he says to there in verse 13, because I just don't want to overlook it. I'll redeem you as the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. This guy's a tremendous man of God. he's concerned about what do the scriptures say all through this? What's the application of the scriptures? What does the word of God say? How are we to handle this? Well, I don't have the first option here. The kinsman redeemer that's the closest has first option. So if he doesn't redeem her, then I'll be in a position to redeem her. Now, the seventh observation is Ruth stayed at his feet all night and left before light. Verse 14 says, so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, remember, Naomi told Ruth, go see Boaz. He'll tell you what to do. In this case, cover up and lie down at my feet until morning. So she did that. And to protect her from any type of improper appearance... And that's what Boaz was concerned about. Everybody knew this woman had an incredible testimony. So did he. He was concerned about his own testimony. He didn't want anything even bordering on what would appear to be something that wouldn't be right. She left before daylight and went back to Naomi. Everything done here is God honoring. Everything done here is consistent with the word of God. Everything done here makes sure there's no hint of a scandal here which is the way it should be if it's right before God. All above board and clean. That's what you have here. Which brings us to the eighth observation. Boaz gave Ruth six measures of barley, and she went back home. Verse 15 says, Again, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. I can't tell you the number of pathetic commentaries I own, And the number of pathetic commentaries that can't seem to see the truth of this text right here. Because some have said, well, this was uh, what Boaz is doing here. First of all, she's wearing a shawl. She's wearing some type of shawl, probably over her head, covering her head, or maybe her shoulders, And so he basically says, take that piece of cloth there, that shawl, that covering, and I'm going to use it as a container here. I'm going to give you six measures of barley. We don't even know what that weighs. It obviously was not the same as six gallons, which would weigh a couple hundred pounds. There's no way you're going to haul that in a shawl. But he wanted her to take something home with her, some barley. So he gave her six measures of barley. And then you get these goofy commentators. And one of them says, well, you know what he's doing here? He's giving her a bridal price. He's paying her a, like a dowry here with this. And another one says, oh, he was it was a payment for the night of intimacy. These are Christian commentators that say this, that have no sense of what this text is even talking about. In other words, she's like a call girl. He's given her a payment for the night, which has no bearing whatsoever. If you look down in the text... You'll notice what it says later in verse 17. Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You see that? Duh. Read the text. I mean, he said, I want Naomi who's sitting at home, who's a widow who has nothing. I don't want you going home empty-handed to her. I want you to take her something. I want you to go home with some barley and have some grain so that she can have something to eat. I mean, that's why he did it. I mean, he did it so that she would have something when she got home. Which brings us to the ninth observation. Ruth gives Naomi the story of what happened. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. When Ruth got home, of course, Naomi was, I'm sure, on pins and needles waiting, wondering what had happened. Well, Ruth told her the whole story, the story we just went through. She laid out everything that just happened and said that Boaz said, here's some barley, take it home. I don't want you going home empty handed. Give it to Naomi. Finally, Naomi advised Ruth to wait to see what would happen. Verse 18 says, then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. The Hebrew word wait, yesab, means sit and stay. Just sit tight. That's a good way to understand it. Sit tight for a while. She knew Boaz. Boaz is not the kind of guy who just sits around doing nothing. She said, you know, this has been an interesting development through the night. Boaz is the kind of businessman who gets things done. So let's just sit tight and see what's going to happen. I want to leave us tonight with three parting thoughts from this narrative. First of all, and we began with this tonight, if we're going to experience God's ultimate will, we have to be willing to take a risk. If we're going to experience God's ultimate will, we have to be willing to take a risk. If you want to evangelize, you're going to have to take a risk and open your mouth. You're going to have to take a stand. If you want to spiritually grow, you're going to have to get somewhere where you can spiritually grow where the word of God is carefully and faithfully taught, that's what feeds the flock. That's what feeds the people of God. Yeah, it's a risk. I mean, people get in their comfort zone of going to places and churches, and and you're going, yeah, but they're not feeding you there. Well, if you're going to experience the ultimate of God's will, you have to take a risk. It's true in ministry. It's true in business. It's true in a relationship. If it's God's perfect will and ultimate will, there's going to have to be a risk. Number two. God's perfect will is given to people of biblical integrity. God's ultimate will is given to people of biblical integrity. And there's not a lot of that anymore. The fact of the matter is, we're living in a world where there's very little integrity. You have it. You go to work on having that kind of integrity. Individual individual biblical integrity will always be blessed by God. It doesn't matter the dispensation. What you see in Boaz is a man of tremendous integrity. And you'll see God's going to bless him abundantly for it. Finally, no one will ever regret asking the Redeemer... Jesus Christ, to save them and take over their lives. No one will ever regret that. That's one of the best requests that anybody could ever make. doesn't matter where the person's from, what the track record is, no one will ever regret that. All of that clearly comes out of this remarkable third chapter in Ruth. Well, we've gone way over tonight, but that's too bad. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.